0: Hello again, this is Gary Meese with The Case Against. we we'll get back into a, hopefully a, a regular routine here with um, a resumption of reviewing uh, the books I've written. I'm in this particular instance, this particular week, we're going to be talking about um, Eccles and his habits of stalking people. <clears throat> uh, before we do that, I, I want to mention that uh, the big news this uh, Happy Mother's Day to everyone. Uh, I wish my mother were still here with me. She's not, but uh, you know, I think of her every day, and certainly thinking of her today, and I'm, I'm sure that's the case with many, hopefully most, if not all of you, anyway, uh, and I'm looking forward to Game of Thrones wrapping up here very shortly within the next week or so, i got it. this is Sunday afternoon, I'm going to watch the episode tonight, the episode next week, and I'll say that it's been very disappointing so far, uh, despite the intensity of some of the, uh, the uh, battle at Winterfell. That was a very intense episode, but it didn't make a whole lot of sense in a lot of ways. Uh, but my job here isn't to review Game of Thrones. Uh, I want to say that, uh, speaking of television, Bob Ruff It was announced this week that there was going to be a package of shows showing up on uh, Oxygen TV in the near future, Uh, among the headliners are Kim Kardashian uh, and uh, Bob Ruff of the Truth and Justice podcast. And he, he, many of you may know of, some of you may be following or have followed his, his review of the West Memphis Three case. Uh, last year really started I think November 2017 and went on till roughly last June or July. Um, Some 60-something episodes if you count his Friday follow-ups. In other words, 60 hours devoted to the case. He didn't uh, really come up with anything knew except his own novel interpretations of events uh, that uh, in many cases were way off the mark uh, and some of his suggestions at people who you know, so-and-so might be involved in the killings <laughs> you know, that sort of thing which is frankly irresponsible and somewhat moronic but the guy's, guy's much better at talking on talking than I am but he's not real smart, from what I can I can gather. He's glib, though. Uh, anyway, he's going to have a show. He he made this big announcement that the lawyers had stopped his big investigation last year, and then we wait six months, and we hear rumors that maybe there's going to be a, a show on uh, television. Uh, some of Terry Hobbs's, rel- I think Joe Lynn. Uh, Hicks said something that she had gotten some sort of contact with uh, which doesn't bode well for the quality of the series if they're relying on JoLynn Hicks for information in the case because she's not that credible but uh, um, they rely on, you know, she mentioned something about she was great news, announcements to be coming soon, you know, some, some new thing in television. Uh, other people put this together long before I did, because it, it it totally surprised me, because I just didn't see what Ruff was doing as something that translated that easily to television. But I guess if you're just going to put on a show, he's probably would, you know, he's probably capable of doing that. I just don't see him going back, taking what he's already gone over. Packaging it in a meaningful way for a TV audience, repackaging it for a TV audience in a way that's going to make any kind of sense, and then coming up with something new in the case that's going to be satisfying and credible. I just don't see it happening. I didn't see it hap- happening in the podcast context either. Uh, and he announced uh, when he wrapped up his investigation that he was leaving, uh, you know, basically leaving all of us who are mired back in this old narrative behind, and he's moving on to something new. I don't know what that something new would be, except, you know, tired alternative narrative. I mean, I don't know. There there are some tired alternative narratives that have to do with uh, going back over Terry Hobbs' statements, uh, you know, some 14 years after the fact from 2007, and and comparing those and, and finding discrepancies and somehow coming up with some, you know, theory about how he's involved in the case, which is pretty ridiculous, uh, given that he he's alibied out fairly well by David Jacoby, and and uh, two different police officers saw him. Uh, Mark Byers saw him around 8 o'clock. Uh, Dana Moore saw him several times that afternoon. I just don't know when he would, even if he had any motive or, and the means and all that, I, it's hard to see where he would have had the time, the simple, the simple time to have accomplished this uh, murder, even if he was so inclined to do so, and I've never seen any indication that he is. Uh, there's no reason to think that... Uh, He's some sort of raging psychopath. While there's plenty of reason to think Damien Eccles is, most of these supporters don't choose to look. They will focus in, what I've seen a pattern of, is they'll focus in on a few minor details and some statement from somebody that may or may not be that credible and just simply ignore all the evidence weighing against Eccles in particular, but also Miskelly and Baldwin. And not, you know, it's not even—it's it, not even that they uh, explain it away. They generally just ignore it. You know, he was just a moody teenager. That's for Eccles, and uh, you know, Jesse's retarded, and Baldwin had nothing to do with it. That—that's—that's that's the story there. And if you press them on it, they—they they run away and hide and come back later. Uh... There are also some alternative theories out there from people uh, concerning uh, bite marks and there's just not, you know, if you look at the particular, a lot of it revolves around the mark on Stevie Branch's forehead, which is an almost perfectly round uh, mark with a little cross in the center that almost surely was left by, if not the, the, the Rambo knife that was found. With the hilt off of it uh, behind uh, the in the lake behind Jason Baldwin's house, if it wasn't that particular knife, which it probably was, uh, if it wasn't that particular knife, it was a knife essentially similar to it, and Eccles and Baldwin had both had knives like that in the past. Uh, They were both known to carry knives like that. Deanna Holcomb described Eccles as carrying a knife like that. Um, Baldwin's mother, Baldwin and his mother can't come up with a coherent explanation of how the knife ended up in the lake. Uh, She's contradicted herself any number of times on that. Uh, and, And Baldwin's come up with varying stories on how that occurred. You know, one time he's angry and then the next time it, it just sort of felt, went out there by accident. And, you know, and then supposedly his mother threw it out there. And then supposedly uh, a Marion policeman put it out there as a plant, uh, et, cetera, et cetera. And, the, you know, the simplest explanation is, is they wanted to get rid of a murder weapon and geniuses that they are. Well, let's just throw it behind, in the lake behind the house. Nobody will ever find it there. Uh, the divers had a pretty good idea about how far somebody could throw a knife. Uh, you know, that lake is kind of scummy and dirt. A little pond, really, is kind of scummy and dirty and kind of green around the edges, but uh, they went out there in November and swam around uh, for an hour or so and came up with a knife. It wasn't a miracle, and it wasn't, you know, a one-in-a-million shot. It was Seems like a pretty reasonable amount of time to hunt for a knife within an area that's, what, going to be 50, 60 feet or so out from uh, the pier behind Baldwin's house. It doesn't take that long to search an area like that. If they had to do the whole lake, it would be it would take a long time. But guess what? Baldwin's throwing's, throwing, their little scrawny arms just aren't capable of throwing the knives that far. Anyway... Uh, I don't know what Ruff's going to come up with for the TV series. I suspect it's going to be pretty bad. Uh, I watched uh, an Oxygen piece on uh, Ted Bundy, just to compare it to some other things that are going on, that have been going on on TV with uh, Berlinger's two movies on Netflix, the documentary and the... uh, uh, the biopic uh, uh, about, uh, based roughly on uh, The Phantom Prince, the book about Bundy, and uh, and I wasn't impressed with either one of those uh, pieces. Uh, he seems to be, this is Berlinger I'm speaking of, he just seems to have never found a psychopath he doesn't like, and uh number 1 and number 2 you know he's really just not that you know you think at this point in the career what he's he's really there's sort of a legendary career there but it's based on the the uh mostly the uh, paradise lost movies I don't know anything else he's done that's really in the same same league as far as reputation. and He's got certain stylistic things he does, you know, with the sweeping shots overhead and so forth, that now everybody's doing. And uh, But, you know, when it really comes down to it, he's not really that great at crafting a compelling story most of the time. Occasionally he he locked up with the West Memphis 3 case and I think some of that's because the the material is so extreme that he couldn't go wrong with it but you know perhaps somebody can point me to something he's done that's of equal quality I, I, I haven't seen it and I've seen most of what he's done I haven't been quite willing to pay the premium price on some of these movie services to see some of his more obscure documentaries, but I've seen all but two or three of them, I think. Maybe just one or two. I haven't really. Ch- I haven't gone down my list lately. Anyway, um, enough of that. Uh, you know, I I suppose I'll be still be podcasting along when the uh, Oxygen series comes along. If it ever does, uh, maybe it's done and just, maybe it's just done and sitting in the can now. Uh, That's not that unlikely. We shall see, but uh, you know I may react to it and I may not depending on how ridiculous it is. Anyway, I'm going to uh, Quote somewhat from uh, one of my books, Blood on Black, but also uh, from my revised condensed version for this particular material, for the case against the West Memphis Three killers. And the reason I'm doing that is just because I condensed uh, some of the statements from some of these young girls that Eccles was stalking were really just I quoted them at too great a length in the original book it served a purpose it served a purpose for me at the time but uh, I'm not going to uh, I'm not gonna repeat an error that I essentially corrected in in the revised condensed version and cut out a lot of extraneous uh, material just for the sake of completeness. This is chapter 16 of The Case Against the podcast. The title is I'll get you, I'm gonna kill you, you're gonna die. And guess who said those words? Damien Eccles was notorious around West Memphis and Marion for walking everywhere, often in a black trench coat. He testified at his murder trial that he walked around areas of West Memphis frequently and was in the area where his victims lived, quote, probably an average of two or three times a week, unquote, over quote, probably at least two years, unquote. Eccles would testify that he often had to walk through the neighborhood of the victims to make his way between Lakeshore and his parents' trailer on South Broadway. Despite that testimony, in other words, he's saying he basically walked across the pipeline, across 10 Mile Bayou, That the boys brought their bicycle, apparently brought their bicycles over before they went into the woods. And the woods are right there at the end. You go across the pipeline, and you are in the woods where they were killed. Essentially, there's a little trail that went in there, but it's you know just a few feet. Uh, Despite having testified that he went through there all the time. And despite the fact that he'd been seen in that area just two weeks before, supposedly hunting snakes, and despite having lived in the neighboring Mayfair apartments uh, as a younger child, when uh, Robin Hood Hills, the wooded area where the three boys, Michael Moore, Christopher Byers, and Stevie Branch were killed, it, that, that area was popular with children as a, as a kind of wooded playground then, and uh, it had remained popular up until these killings. Anyway, despite having uh, these facts and this the uh, prior testimony about going through the area two or three times a week, he testified he'd never been in Robin Hood Hills. Of course, that claim had no credibility since the pipeline over 10 Mile Bayou offered one of the few pedestrian shortcuts between the Eccles Hutchison Trailer and Lakeshore Estates where Jason Baldwin and uh, Dominique Tier lived. A route Eccles testified he regularly used. He went there t- through there two or three times a week. As I think I've said two or three times, I'm trying to make the point that Eccles is thinks nothing of lying and in the most blatant sort of ways. I mean, the idea that he's not familiar with these woods when he basically walked said just got through saying he walked through them all the time, most people would be embarrassed to tell such lies, but he thinks nothing of it. Um, let me say that th- this uh, this murder site was almost perfectly positioned. In terms of Eccles' areas of uh, influence, where he where he would be, where he spent time, his parents lived uh, in a trailer off uh, West Broadway Trailer Park, which wasn't really on West Broadway, but it was just off West. It was a block or so off West Broadway, which was the main thoroughfare through West Memphis was, still is, in many ways, the way main thoroughfare through West Memphis. Uh, and he was in the east side of, East Broadway I guess. It was the East East Broadway. That's it's the east side of town. And uh, he uh, to walk from there to get to Jason's house. You could take you could go down um, up and go down Seventh Street and cut and cross the interstate and go around. Add some distance. You could d- go down Ingram Boulevard, go down the service road and go around. That adds distance. Uh, obviously, you could go down Broadway, go up Missouri Street, do all. S- there are lots of different ways you could go. But the only way you could walk and get there without walking five, five or more miles was to go across this little pedestrian shortcut that involved crossing this pipeline. And it's positioned almost perfectly. It's about two miles from uh, the Eccles Hutchison trailer. And it's about two a little bit Less than, depending on how you go, but around two miles to uh, Jason Baldwin's home in uh, Lakeshore Estates. So anyway, after uh, Eccles got out of prison, he moved to Salem, Massachusetts. Briefly after his release from prison, uh, he walked around uh, Salem, Massachusetts constantly and really became very well known there for this habit. Uh, his father, Jack Eccles, had described, uh, would would come to describe, hadn't described yet, but would come to describe uh, Eccles' habit as a child of walking, 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 walking uh, in an obsessive sort of way, without really being clear where he was going uh when he was, you know, seven, eight, nine years old. You know, and, and now he lives in New York City, lives in Harlem. Let's just say that well, he may have drawn some attention back in nineteen ninety-three in West Memphis and Marion, Arkansas as the as the only kid who was consistently walking around in black and consistently wearing a black trench coat, even in the summertime. Nobody else was quite that deranged, just extremely hot and humid, but Eccles would walk around in a black trench coat all year round. Now, there were kids, other kids who had black trench coats or other kids who were wearing black. It was not that unusual. What was unusual was Eccles' habit of Dressing in all black and doing it most of the time, if not all the time. I mean, he apparently did not wear all black all the time because he had. He was wearing a green shirt at one point during the the uh, the events of May fourth, uh, fifth, and sixth, and you can see for yourself. Uh, there's a photo of him wearing a, a black T-shirt, but it's got. Uh, an NBA team on there, I can't remember which one it is now, but I've written it down someplace, but anyway, you know, he's not, but you know, he's in New York City now, I don't know lately, but I know at one point, you know, half the town was walking around in all black, so I doubt if it's changed that much, he's not going to look that unusual there, but he looked, he did look a little unusual in West Memphis, we'll concede that point, it's not why he was arrested, it's certainly not why he was convicted. Uh, Eccles has described this lifelong pattern of obsessive walking in interviews. He told uh, Justin M. Norton of www.metalsucks.net, whatever the heck that is, that, quote, when I first got out, I would go and walk and walk for hours, just looking in shop windows and feeling the wind and the rain. I would be exhausted to the core and want to go lay down, but as soon as I'd get back in, I would want to go right back out. Now part of what was happening when Eccles was out is apparently occasionally things would catch his eye and he would get in trouble as a result. He would pay undue attention to say young girls playing in yards uh and he and i'm going to talk now about what could generously be described as a stalking incident that he describes in his 2012 memoir life after death and in in that book he described and he didn't give a lot of specifics which isn't his style anyway and unless he's making stuff up then he you know he makes up a lot of specifics about things that never happens, but when it comes to reality, he d- doesn't come up with a lot. But anyway, he's, his dissatisfaction, he described his dissatisfaction in his relationship back in 1993 with Dominique Tier, who was his pregnant 16-year-old girlfriend, and then how he sought out his old girlfriend, Deanna Holcomb. And I'm going to quote Eccles for quite some bit here, but you'll recognize the voice here as... Eccles writing, I thought of Deanna frequently, wondering what had happened. Through sheer coincidence, I used that word but don't believe there's any such thing, I found out Deanna's family had started attending church. The possibility of seeing her again plagued me. I couldn't get it out of my head. I constantly wondered what would happen, how she would react, what I would see in her eyes, and I had a plethora of questions I needed answers to. I couldn't understand how she had so thoroughly and completely severed our connection. I needed an explanation. Sunday morning found me preparing to descend into the hellish realm of fundamentalism. I knew I didn't belong there, but I had to do it or I would get no rest. Scanning the rows, I saw Deanna sitting in the dead center of the room with her family. I couldn't breathe. She looked at me and looked away. I didn't even see a flicker of recognition. What did that mean? I had been expecting something, anything, but her eyes passed over me as if I were not even there. When it was over, I walked outside and stood on the sidewalk. I was trying to figure out what this meant as I watched her family get in their car and drive away. That's the end of Eccles' statement. Eccles did not give a date for this attempted encounter, but the stalking incident closed a chapter in the book that then opened on news of the May 5th killings. You get the impression... even in in, uh, as late a date as 2012 that this relationship with Deanna still haunted him. It certainly was doing so in 1992 and 1993. It it was the triggering event that prompted three trips to mental hospitals and a whole lot of violent acting out. let me say also that uh, the killings came almost exactly a year after two major events in Eccles' life. Yeah. One was uh, the family entering counseling and the, 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 his mother filing for divorce from Jack Eccles because Eccles was accused of, sexual, acting in a sexually inappropriate way with uh, Eccles' sister, Michelle. That happened in May. They went to uh, see a family counselor on May 5, 1992. The killings occurred on May fifth, nineteen 1993. You want to call that, you know, I don't believe in coincidences either, Mr. Eccles. So, you know, I think there was something there. I think these the dates of these traumas were being relived a year later. And uh, also, uh, it's not clear, but according to his own mother, uh, a few days after the killings, she described her new husband and Eckels' real father, Joe Hutchinson, having left the house on the evening of May 4th in some sort of argument about... Concerning the, the step the, the the adopted father Jack Eccles supposedly, and, uh, and later she changed the dates, which really uh, really shot down her credibility with the police and with the jury uh, about when the, this this occurred. But supposedly the Eccles was very upset about this. Uh, Michelle Eccles claims that nobody cared at all. This was no big deal. Pam, Pam was so spaced out about it in her descriptions that it's really hard to tell what she thought about it. Uh, but she did describe Eccles as being upset about it. Not, not herself, but Eccles, uh, Damien being upset. Anyway, uh, the incident that finally broke Eccles and Deanna apart permanently happened uh, in the middle of May in 1992 uh, when they after having been broken up they got back to get they were getting back together Uh, they attempted some sort of silly teenage runaway and didn't get any further than an empty trailer at Lakeshore trailer park Eccles was arrested Deanna they were both arrested for breaking into this trailer, um, I think Baldwin was at the scene as well. Uh, Eccles was charged with terroristic threatening, breaking in, and he um, he described uh, his rage uh, at the time, uh, claimed that he had access to one of the uh, officers' pistols while he was in the uh, the police car. I think it. I think it was police and not sheriff's, but I'm not sure. I'm not sure about that. But I think it anyway. Whether that was a police car or a sheriff's deputy's car, does it really make a difference at this point? I'm not sure. But anyway, uh, he claimed he had access to a pistol in the car and was ready to pull it out and gun down if her uh, Deanna's father, if he showed if when he showed up on the scene, if he threatened Deanna in any kind of way. Which, again, is probably just a totally made-up detail. It sounds like it sounds like B.S., but who knows? Anyway, after uh, after his arrest for the killings, uh, reports began to surface about Eccles or someone closely resembling him observing children in an obsessive and secretive manner. Some reports predated the killings. On May 1st, 1993, Jennifer Ball, who lived at Lakeshore, reported to police that she had been threatened by uh, a Michael Bashirs 14, on several occasions. On March 1st, she said someone had threatened to kill her by shouting through the window. The police report described suspect B, who was not Bashir's, as a slim white male, about 18, dressed in a black t-shirt, black jeans, and a black jacket. Does that sound familiar? Uh, Jennifer saw him make the threats, then enter the fenced-in backyard. On June 10th, this is after the killings, she gave police this handwritten statement. Uh... The first contact I had with Damien Eccles was when he was at and at this point she was readily identifying Suspect B as Damien Eccles, and she was saying that she had not initially identified him because she was scared of him, which makes perfect sense, but anyway, she says, Uh, the first contact I had with Damien Eccles was when he was at my window um, in March 1993. I'd heard about him and heard that he was into devil worshiping. So was Michael and Amanda Lancaster. Well, Michael had told her that he was going to blow up my house up and stay away from me. Well, she didn't believe him, and we continued to be friends. Let me try. Let me. Let me. Before I get into. Uh, jennifer's statement let me let me go let me go double back here and we'll talk about uh because i i really want to get into a better edited version of this uh, this is going to be uh, this is going to be a uh, not from laura maxwell but from um uh, i mean not from a uh, jennifer ball but i'm going to give a statement from uh, a girl named laura maxwell on May 18th, this was before the arrest, Laura Maxwell, who had dated Eccles, gave a handwritten statement. Dated Damien, summer of 1991. He told me he used to be a knight in his past life. They killed all these people, and he's written some books on witchcraft. He told me that he liked to get raw steak meat and suck the blood out. This one boy told me one time, Jason Baldwin busted his nose and blood was all over the ground, so Damien got down on the ground and started licking the blood up. He used to say that if he was out walking or something and he got thirsty that he would just like to take a baseball bat and knock somebody out and take a bite out of their neck and drink their blood. He never liked my brother. He told my friend he was going to kill him. He had it all planned out what was going to happen. And he told my friend and I that if we told Donnie about this, presumed presume Donnie's the brother, that he would kill us too. And if our parents found out and they tried to get involved, that he would just kill them too. He told my friend that he used to watch my house overnight and he knew everything that happened in my house every night. He also told one of his friends that one night while I was asleep, he snuck in my house and came in my room and did all this stuff to me. He used to always talk about how much he hated little kids, and he used to always say this this saying about cutting all your fingers and toes off one by one. When school started, he started going out with this other girl, Deanna Holcomb, and, after, and when she broke up with him, he went to her house, kept saying he was going to kill her if she didn't go back out with him. And that's his ex-girlfriend talking to police when Eccles was had become a pretty good suspect but before he was arrested Uh, there was a okay Jennifer Ball And I'm going to read her handwritten statement now. She was the girl that saw uh, Eccles enter her fenced-in backyard. The first contact I had with Damien Eccles was when he was at my window. I had heard about him and heard that he was into devil worshiping. About March 1st, I was on three-way with Amanda Lancaster and Jack Held. I was looking out the window, and somebody jumped in front of it, shouting, You bitch! I'll get you. I'm going to kill you. You're going to die. I started screaming and hollering. Amanda was hollering at me, Jennifer, what is wrong? Jennifer, what is going on? I told her that someone was at my window, and it looked like Damien. I looked out the window to see if he was still there, speaking of Damien. He just glared at me and said, you're dead, bitch, and ran off. About five minutes later, she said, Jennifer, Jennifer, was Damien wearing pure black and a black trench coat? I said, yes. Why, she said, he's walking down the street and eyeing my house. She got real scared and started crying, and then her house alarm went off. Officer Reese came to our house. She asked Officer Reese being the female, she asked me to describe Damien, asked me if I was sure it was Damien. I told her no. I was scared that if Damien found out I told, he would definitely kill me. So the person at my window was left blank. Well, about a month ago, I was in Kroger. I noticed that someone kept passing by and looking at me. When I looked up, I discovered it was Damien. I just ran off. About three weekends ago, I went skating with Amanda Lancaster. We were having a good old time until Damien walked in. Well, me and Amanda were about two tables over from Damien, Jason Baldwin, and his girlfriend, Heather. Damien kept on staring at me. I looked up, and I noticed that him and Jason were whispering to each other and pointing at me. Damien whispered something to Jason, and Jason looked over at me and said, I don't know. Then Jason whispered something to Damien, and Damien looked at me. He looked me up and down and said, yep. Then Damien started saying something, and Jason kept on saying, no, man, no. Well, we finally left that table and went walking around. I noticed that Damien had followed us. Not with his body, with his eyes. I had lost Amanda and was trying to find her. I went to the bathroom to see if she had walked in there. When I came out, Damien was standing there against the wall. I bumped into him. I didn't realize who it was until I looked up. When I looked into his, it's his eyes, it's like I froze. Well, some girl asked me to, bring, to go buy her some candy and a Coke. When I went to give it to her, I noticed she was at Damien's table. I just ran over there, handed it to her, and walked off. I could feel his eyes following me. Well, I later found out that he was asking some people who I was. That sort of doesn't make sense actually. He, he, seem, he seems to have known who she was. He was over if he was over banging on her window and all that but anyway, um, Damien watched us as we went out the building. Friday after everyone had found out who murdered the little boys, I got a phone call. They said, well, you and your friend Amanda were the next to die by Damien and hung up. I heard, had heard that Damien was going to kill two more girls. Amanda kept on saying, I know those two girls were me and you, I knew they were. Uh, The so-called softball girls who heard heard, uh, Eccles bragging at the softball game about having killed the little boys uh, also claimed they heard that he was planning on killing uh, two more girls. Jason uh, sorry Amanda Lancaster gave a handwritten statement. Heather Clyatt, that was Jason's girlfriend, Jason Baldwin's girlfriend. Heather Clyatt had told me that Damien had been asking me had been asking me questions about me, about where I live and my phone number. At the skating rink, he watched me and stuff. He would follow me around. He would just he would like just watch me. He would really scare me, and someone had told me that I was next. Me and Jennifer Ball were next. Jennifer Ball's mother, Teresa Woodson, said Eccles had been identified by Jennifer in March and that she had seen Eccles walking in their neighborhood that same afternoon. Karen Bashir's McIntyre described another encounter with Eccles. On a Sunday morning, and this one's really creepy. On a Sunday morning, approximately two to three weeks before the triple murder occurred, my daughter and a friend were outside playing in my front yard at 515 Belvedere. They came into the house and said there was a man watching them from a bush one house away. I immediately went to the door, and when I opened it, he got up from a squatting position and started to run toward Balfour Road. I called my husband, and he and I immediately started looking for the man. We looked all over the neighborhood and the bayou behind Balfour. He just disappeared, and we could not find him. The guy behind the bush was Damien Eccles. I saw him clearly, and there is no doubt. My daughter said the guy had something in his hand. My daughter believed that he was taking pictures of her and her friend at the time. She said Eccles was wearing a black trench coat. The daughter, Jessica Bryant, 11, told police. It was a Sunday and this boy just came up walking down the street and he was dressed all in black and so we were just playing and we looked over there and we saw him. He was behind the bush and we continued playing and he was still there so went over there and hid behind the car for a few minutes And we thought he won't come out, so he will go away and leave us alone. And we went back, and he was still there, and so he was looking out of the corner of his eye at us. And so we didn't know what to do, so we went inside and told my mama, and he started running off, and then we don't know what happened to him. He had sort of long hair and dressed all in black and real black long overcoat on with some black shoes on. He was just looking out of the corner of his eyes with his hands like this against him. He was like digging in his pockets. He had his hands in his pocket, but I don't know what he was doing. He was squatting behind the bush. He was doing something in his pockets. He was like getting something out of his pockets or putting something back in. In other words, there was a backwards and forwards motion going on in Eccles was squatting behind a bush looking at preteen girls with his hand inside his pants making a backward and forward motion. When I was in junior high we call that playing pocket pool. I don't know what they call it now. Uh, It's not hard to figure out what was going on there. As I said it's pretty disturbing. Mark Byers told police, Mark Byers being the father of Christopher Byers, and this is after after the murders. Sometime between the end of February, 1993 and first half of March of 1993, my wife, Melissa, and myself went to grocery store at Flash Market on Ingram around four o'clock. We were gone about 15 to 20 minutes. When we returned home, Christopher was inside. When we came in, he started telling us about a man taking his picture. We asked, what did he look like? Chris said he was wearing a black coat and black pants and shoes, black, and had a sort of long black hair. Again, with a sort of long black hair, which is what Eccles had, sort of long black hair. He, this being Chris Byers, said the man was driving a green car. Chris was playing under carport when man drove up. He said that when he He said that he ran out into the yard because the man scared him and we asked what happened and Chris said he just took my picture and then got in his car and left. Melissa Byers testified to the same set of facts. Now, There are people who claim that Eccles couldn't possibly be Eccles because Eccles didn't drive, but just because Eccles said he couldn't drive doesn't mean that he didn't drive, and just because he said he didn't have access to a car doesn't mean he didn't have access to a car. So, and as we all know, you can't believe anything Damian Eccles says. Not all of us know that, but some of us do. And hopefully some of the rest of you may be catching on the more you listen to this. Now, I think we've gone on I think we've gone on long enough with this. Uh, there were a few things. Oh, I know what I wanted to get into in his confessions. Yeah, Melissa Byers. Okay, Melissa Byers gave that same set of information that Mark Byers gave. She gave it into in a statement on October fifth and testified to very much the same set of facts during the Miskelley trial. Uh, In his confessions, Jesse Miskelley described how a photo of his three victims was passed around at satanic cult meetings led by Eccles. Investigators never found the photo or the briefcase in which it was kept, and supposedly there are weapons and drugs there. By the way, there's a picture of uh, Domini's bedroom, and there's clearly a briefcase in the bedroom, so Eccles clearly had access to a briefcase of all things. Now, whether that briefcase had anything in it or not, uh, there's there's never been any indication that they found anything in that briefcase, but <laughs> we don't know for a fact that they looked inside. I mean, I don't know. I'm assuming they did, the police really were not incompetent, despite the, the claims to the contrary. Uh, in the Miskelly trial, because they had access to Miskelly's confessions mentioning the photo, the police argued that the stalking indicated premeditated murder. Talk about the stalking of Chris Byers. Uh, the s- description of the photo, along with other evidence, such as blue candle wax found on the shirt of Stevie Branch, added credence to the theory that not only were the time and setting part of an occult scheme, but the victims were hand-picked. And according to Miss Skelly, Baldwin and Eccles earlier that week, had recruited him to go to West Memphis with them to beat up some boys. Anyway, that's enough for me this time. Uh, Hopefully I... Hopefully I didn't mess this up somewhere in here. I think I did a pretty good job on this so far for me I'm gonna listen to it and then release it Uh, hopefully you'll hear from me again next week Uh, took care of my coughing problem cut back a little I wasn't drinking a lot of colas anyway but I've cut back quite a bit, even on the little bit I was drinking, and change brands of coffee, and my throat's not irritated the way it was. Wonders never cease. Anyway, happy Mother's Day to all of you, uh, and uh, have a good week. Talk to you again soon. This is Gary Meese signing off.